Hello and welcome to Living Veda. I'm Rachel and I want you to live long and live well. Together, let's explore the ancient art of Ayurveda and yoga so that you can build a life well-lived. I'm here to teach you these truths in a modern and livable way, and I'm so glad you're here. Hi, everybody. Okay, so whenever I have the opportunity to teach the basics of Ayurveda to a live group of first-time learners, the questions always seem to have the same theme. There's an unconscious, black-and-white, fundamentalist way of thinking that's behind almost every earnest and well-intentioned question that is asked. For example, is this food good or bad for you? Can this thing be eaten for breakfast? What does fasting look like in Ayurveda? What time should people get up and go to bed? And after I answer the first 10 questions the same way, for whom and when, they all kind of start to smile and get it. Can you see it? How they really genuinely want to do what they think will be considered right. And how there's only room for one right way. And how that one right way must apply to everyone, regardless of their age, current state of thinking, life circumstances, or anything else. Even if you've never stepped foot into a church, but you grew up here in the West, perhaps especially in the South, though <laughs> no, I'm not really sure about that, there's an interesting accidental fundamentalist thinking that seems to underline the way that we see the world. And it's really getting in the way of us being able to ask more helpful questions. I remember when I first wanted to start studying Ayurveda, I was especially interested in the herbalism aspect of the studies. At the time, my father was on 30-something different medications, and many of those were to help with the side effects of the other medications. And sadly, I imagine this is something we're all pretty familiar with here. At this point, I bet we all know someone who is on a medication to help with the side effect of another medication. And I loved the idea of being able to trade a side effect heavy pharmaceutical for a natural herb, and I really wanted to help. I thought, I'll trade this drug for this herb and this new, more natural pill will help fix the problem. And of course, I understand now that that's, that's really just not how it works. It took me a long time to recognize my thought pattern of seeking treatment for symptom. I didn't even understand how to zoom out and consider that a symptom is just that. It's part of a larger situation speaking up. And that zoom out process is something that most of us here in the West, really, we're just not used to doing it, and it can be very uncomfortable. When we are brave enough to zoom out, we might start to see how our actions, our lifestyles, the foods that we're eating, the relationships we're in, our mental state of being, all of these things have all contributed to our current situation. And then we might feel bad for ignoring signs from our bodies, for maybe a long time. And we may have to look at an undigested experience that happened a really long time ago. And that can be a lot to tackle, especially if you're doing it alone and without good help. Now, now that my friends and I are all hitting our like mid to late 30s, there's all of these new health problems that start entering our conversations. And a lot of my friends seem to share this underlying belief that 
the right doctor with the right pill will be able to fix it and the entire burden and responsibility is on that physician. And they mean well. It's a beautiful, well-meaning, hopeful belief and they're earnestly seeking wise doctors and good information. But I just find it fascinating that this one way is the only way they thought about the problem. The idea that their current struggle didn't come from nowhere, that they could have power in their own healing, that that power could be bigger than a pill or an herb is, is just outside the landscape of their thinking so far. And one of the biggest gifts that Ayurveda has offered me, and perhaps has to offer you, is this change in perspective. You have power as a creator of your own life and well-being. And that power is a responsibility. Of course, yes, absolutely, there are things outside of your control and outside of your power. But not everything. You have agency, you have choice, you have observation skills. And the sooner you are able to harness those powers, the more likely you'll be able to create a beautiful landscape of health. When we start to re-examine how we think about responsibility, agency, power, boundaries, and the rigidity of our own thinking energetically, we're working with the root chakra or muladhara chakra. Okay, so first, allow me to attempt to demystify and simply explain the chakra system. You, you know you have a physical body. You can touch it. You can feel it. This is the most gross or the most concrete layer of your being. And from the yogic and Ayurvedic perspective, there's a, a basic premise of understanding that you're a lot more than just the physical body. And of course, many other wisdom traditions have this basic idea as well. But in this system specifically, there are five different bodies or koshas, and they move from the most gross and easy to see, the physical body, all the way out to the most subtle and esoteric, the bliss body or the spiritual body. And the second body on this gross to subtle lineup is the energetic body. It is on this slightly less gross level of existence that the chakra system exists. The chakras are seven really big energy centers that travel up the base of the spine and the energetic body. There are tons of lines of energy that connect them to the rest of the body called nadis. When one chakra or energy center isn't functioning well, it will have an effect on the overall system. Of course, everything works together. Nothing operates in isolation, just like in the physical body. If the kidneys aren't well, it puts a strain on the heart. Our bodies, all five of them, work as a team. This is microcosm echoing macrocosm here. Everything is connected. The first energetic center at the base of the spine, the first chakra, the root chakra, is muladhara. It is the foundational energy center and relates to our sense of survival and security. Each chakra or energy center can be in one of three states. It can be balanced, it can be in excess, or it could be in deficiency. The root chakra is all about self-preservation. When the root is well-balanced, we have a sense of security, belonging, rootedness, we trust, we have appropriate boundaries, and even there's prosperity that can follow. And some signs that the root is well-balanced can be good health, vitality, 
feeling well-grounded, being comfortable in your body, trusting the world around you, and in general, just the ability to relax and be still. Hopefully, you can imagine someone who fits this description. It's that feeling that someone just has both feet on the floor. They can handle themselves, and they know when to turn away. There's a balanced sense of trust and action. It's the kind of person that might make you feel more settled and grounded yourself just by being around them. In contrast, when the root is out of balance, both in excess and in deficiency, there's a tendency towards fear and anxiety. Now look, we have all been living through literal years of a pandemic here, and this may very likely have had an effect on the balance of your root chakra. Talk about something that uproots your livelihood, your foundation, your sense of safety and trust. It's like the year 2020 was invented for that, and it hasn't really stopped yet. But even before all of that, I noticed a lot of characteristics of excess in the first chakra in our culture. It's where that rigid, black and white, fundamentalist thinking comes from. That fear and anxiety of doing the quote, wrong thing. A desperate addiction to security that makes change almost impossible. We see it in greed, in hoarding, overeating, sluggishness, and laziness. Perhaps you can start to see how a really well-intentioned version of this excess first chakra energy starts to show up in questions about ourselves, our health, and our practices. There's a rigidness to the thought. There's difficulties zooming out enough to see that there could be more than one answer, more than one reality, more than one truth. There's a tight grip on the right and wrong boundary that allows one to feel safe and secure. To me, it often sounds like the subtext of so many of these questions is just tell me what to do. So A plus B can equal C regardless of everything else. It's like they're saying, I'm scared, but I don't want to think I'm scared and I don't want you to think I'm scared. So I'm just going to ask this really linear question instead. More recently, the pandemic years have brought out a deficiency in the root chakra energy. And this can look like fearfulness, anxiety, and restlessness. It can create poor boundaries and chronic disorganization. It can lead to poor focus and discipline and a general just disconnection from the body. It feels like someone just pulled the rug out from under you. I imagine you can all picture this friend as well, especially in recent times, and I bet they work from home. We live in a culture and a time where it can be really challenging to stay grounded balanced, stable, rooted, and trusting. It's kind of like we all went to anti-root chakra sleepaway camp and we have not come home yet. And when the root chakra stays out of balance for long periods of time, it's associated with problems that show up in the physical body. These can be colon disorders, ailments in the anus, bones, teeth, legs, feet, and knees, and it often shows up as an eating disorder and a general low immune system function that results in frequent illness. But there is good news here. There are definitely tools to help reestablish a good flow of energy in the root and to help us become those lovely rooted and grounded people that we want to be. And so here are five ways to heal the root chakra. Number one, 
yoga asana. A yoga asana is the, the poses associated with the yogic system. So the, the movement, the poses, yeah. And I'm going to start with my favorite one this time. I absolutely love yoga asana for establishing a sense of rootedness and well-grounding. It's also been my favorite tool personally for releasing fundamentalist thinking that I was raised in. And I'm talking about a lot more than any religious ideology here. It's that small, zoomed-in, absolutist worldview. Yoga helped me tear it down. It's been the beautiful process of discovering that your body can do things you didn't think it could, and then that translates to everything else in your life. And it's the magic of learning that the voice inside my head, it wasn't me. <laughs> and then the transformation of turning that voice into a friend. When these things change, the world changes too. I can no longer stand on my hands with my feet on my head like I once could. Uh, but the lessons I learned exploring that capability of my body are going to stay with me forever. Now, you don't have to put a foot on your head to learn this way. You simply have to practice and watch what happens. You likely will need a good teacher, especially when you're using yoga asana as a way to ground and center. And I would encourage you to choose a class with either no music or music that's in the background and it's slow and it's steady. Because what you're looking for here is an opportunity to be with and deal with yourself, not to escape it. And a good teacher will be able to hold you there without getting in your way. Okay, number two. The second way to help heal the root chakra, Muladhara chakra, is meditation and mindfulness. It's just paying attention to what you're doing while you're doing it. Wash the dishes. Take a shower. The more you train your mind to be present, the more grounded it will become. And the more grounded your mind is, the less likely it is to run free and unchecked in an anxiety and fear spiral. If you're looking for a good place to start, try pooping without your phone. Yeah, I know that's gross, but yes, I mean it. If you're peeing with your phone, definitely start there. It will help you start to notice an addiction to escaping being present with yourself. And if your bathroom is already phone-free, then let's move on to meals. Device-free eating and paying good attention to the food, its taste and smells, and how it makes you feel are all good paths towards mindfulness. Okay, number three, the third way to reroute yourself is Abhyanga. Abhyanga is the Ayurvedic self-care practice where you oil the body. In this application, it is all about the sense of touch to heal the root chakra. So you could get a massage instead if you can and you want to. Uh, if instead Abhyanga is your thing, you're going to heat up the oil and rub it all over your body. This is a beautiful and beneficial practice, but it can also be a little bit messy and time-consuming. So if you're looking for something that scratches this itch, it's a little bit more simple, you can come back to oiling your feet, uh, like we talked about last week. Number four, fourth way to ground the root chakra energy is dance. Okay, the important part here is that you're connecting to your own body. So I'm saying dance, but for you it might be weightlifting or sex or whatever it is that makes you feel at home and empowered in your skin. For this one, use music. The focus is all about enjoying being in the body. And last but not least, the fifth way to balance the root chakra is affirmations. 
Start to notice if there's a loop in your mind that isn't helping you. For example, this pandemic is never going to end. <laughs> Maybe instead, I'm doing my part to keep myself and others well while we're in this space together. There's definitely an element of mindfulness here because you have to be able to observe the unhelpful mental pattern in order to replace it with a new idea. But you can do that. Notice and replace. Notice and replace. I imagine all of us could use a little root chakra healing these days. And I hope you find yourself grounded, safe, balanced, and well. And if not, I hope you feel inspired to use tools that help move you in that direction. And I hope you want to learn more. I have made two on-demand courses to help you learn. There's an introduction to Ayurveda course where you'll learn all about your dosha, nutrition, basic philosophy, and really it's about how to apply this wisdom to your own life. There's also a sweet and simple self-care practices from Ayurveda course that gives you two weeks to explore self-care tools, a new one each day, so that at the end of two weeks, you have everything you need to create your own practice. I'll put links in the episode notes, and I really hope you'll check them out and enjoy. Today, I have a, a PS for you of sorts, in case you were wondering about the forest fire bit at the end of each episode. So Dhamantari is the god of Ayurveda, and the legend has it that all of the gods and all of the demons were seeking the elixir of life. And up and out of the milky ocean and the milky sea comes Dhamantari, and he's holding in his hand this cup of elixir and it's said to be the wisdom of Ayurveda. And there's a prayer to him, and many people still offer this prayer when they're seeking health or wellness. And the prayer to him says, we bow to Lord Davantari, holding in his four graceful hands a conch shell, a wheel, a leech, and a pot of celestial nectar. In his heart shines the purest and sweet flame of light that surrounds his head and emanates from his lotus eyes. On dark water whose body is bright and shiny, the waist and thighs are covered with yellow cloth and by the game of which all diseases are conquered is by a powerful forest fire. So I figured it might be time to help you understand why I was talking about forest fires burning up all the diseases, but this is why. It comes from this beautiful prayer to the ancient god of Ayurveda. So absolutely, my friends, until next time, may all diseases be conquered as by a powerful forest fire. Thank you and goodbye.